Thank you so much. Uh, I am not a one-eyed hawk supporter. I open both eyes because it's worth seeing the whole thing. No one eye here. What a privilege to be with you. And I'm so glad you came to church today because whatever gets you in church is a grand thing. And this morning I'm going to share with you on the issue of sexual intimacy, a grand design, partly because I've been asked to do it and partly because I'm glad to do it. I grew up in a church where I went, to, uh, I went for the first 27 years of my life to a Bible-believing, lovely Lutheran church, wonderful church. But in 27 years, I never heard a single message on sex, and I began to believe Lutherans didn't have sex. Um, I began to explore other denominations as a consequence. Uh, eventually discovered that actually Lutherans do have sex. They just didn't want to talk about it. And so um, I feel that somebody should. Why should we? Well, because if you looked at the newspapers and the TV and tried to figure out if you came from Mars, what is the meaning of life? You'd think if you just looked at the movies and the, and the programs on TV and the magazines, you'd think sex was the meaning of life. It's not the meaning of life, but it is a, such a significant part of life. And it so influences the way people do life, we ought to talk about it. Jesus said, go make disciples, teach them to observe everything whatsoever I have commanded you. And this, because this is one of the big issues of the way we do life, you've got to open the Bible and you've got to ask God, what do you think about all of this? And God says, well, I think a lot about it because I actually manufactured the whole thing myself. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech and they knew, use no words and no sound is heard from them and yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Psalm 19 says you can see something of God's nature and God's character in the universe, in the material universe. The Bible says he reveals both his power and his divine nature in the way he makes things. Um, God is an artist, and if you want to see the soul of an artist, have a look at what they have created, and you get an insight to the soul of the artist. The, the Bible says that God thinks the universe itself reveals us to us something of his own divine nature. But then the Bible goes on and says that's not the only testimony God has to his nature. In Psalm 19, the Bible says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Then the second testimony to God's nature is his own revealed word. It's one of the great privileges in life is to live in an age when you can own your own Bible and actually read it. And if you go down through history, that hasn't always been the case. There were many times it was not possible unless you went to a priest or you went to a religious institution and said, can you explain to me what has God ever shown us of himself and they'd have to explain it to you. We live in an age where not only you can read, but you can read the Word of God yourself. And the Bible says it will make wise the simple. The Bible is intended to help you understand life. Then comes the third testimony to God's divine nature, and that is our own humanness. The Bible says in the same psalm, but who can understand their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins, that they may not rule over me, and then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The third testimony to the nature of God is the nature of our own humanity, if it is rightly understood. And when we come to the issue of our own sexuality, it is an extraordinary insight to the nature of God and His eternal purpose for our lives. It's extraordinary. The Bible reveals to us a God who is not a God of lonely singularity. I know it's dangerous to say this, but there are different representations of God. God is presented to us by different religions in different ways. And one of the ways that some religions present God to us is a lonely singularity. Uh, if God was a lonely singularity, a singularity of person in a singularity of substance, He is the only eternal one, the one who never had a beginning. And if that is true about God, then the truth about being is singularity. The truth about being is eternal aloneness. And if God was to make a human being in His own image, and God Himself is a singularity of person in a singularity of substance, then singularity would be your most natural condition in life. And the whole issue of community and relationships and family would not even exist. There's lots of ways of reproducing. People say, well, we have to have sex or else we wouldn't reproduce. There's more than 58 different forms of reproduction on planet Earth. You don't have to have sex to reproduce, and God didn't create sex just for reproduction. Thank God for that. In fact, He created it in such a way that it's not always that easy to reproduce. You can have sexual intimacy and no reproduction. It was not, women were not designed to be baby factories and sex was not designed purely for reproduction. God has lots of ways of reproducing. Uh, and as a result, you've got to ask yourself, well, what did he do it for and what do we learn about God and what do we learn about ourselves from the issue of our own sexuality? Well, one of the things we learn is that God is not a singularity of person and a singularity of substance. God's eternal aloneness is not God's experience of being. We were not created in the, in, the, uh, in the image of an eternally lonely individual. The Bible reveals to us that God is not Allah, God is Yahweh, and Yahweh is a mystery, an extraordinary mystery, a trinity of persons in a singularity of substance. The Bible, there's a word for it in theology, it's called perichoresis. And I know I didn't bring you to church today to baffle you with theological words, but it is a stunning word. Let me describe to you what this word conveys to us about God. It is a fellowship and sharing so honest and so open and so real that the three persons involved dwell in one another. There is a union, but without the loss of individual identity. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. They don't lose their identity by being in one another. When one weeps, the other tastes salt. It is only in the triune relationship of Father, Son and Spirit that personal relationship of this order exists. If God was different, sex would never have existed. The early church used the word perichoresis to, to describe it. And here's the good news. The good news is that we have been included in this relationship. And it is to be played out fully in each of us and in all creation. 
the stunning reality is that God is a trinity of beings so intimate that they share an indivisible substance. God's eternal experience is not loneliness, it's intimacy. And so when God created human beings in his own image, it was essential. If he was to communicate into a material world something that has existed forever in the invisible spiritual world, he had to give us uh, not only experiences, but he had to give us facets of our being that could communicate the extraordinary nature of the God who was actually there. And so the Bible says, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother, and the two shall become one flesh. God created our bodies capable of sexual intimacy. And it is part of a grand design, not only for us, but to reveal who he is to us and to begin to open our understanding of where all history is headed, where we are headed. Now, in the creation of human beings, God's plan was to reveal something about himself. It's one of the wonders of, of the Bible that God uses so much sexual language to explain stuff to us. Uh, and it's partly because of the fact that God is a, an intimate trinity and he has made us capable of sharing intimate physical intimacy, which is a picture of his own divine spiritual intimacy, an intimacy that he shares with us when Christ comes into our lives. Because the Bible says, uh, whoever is one with Jesus is one with him in spirit. Whoever is one with a prostitute is one with her in body. This extraordinary thing of sexual intimacy is a parable. It is a picture of one spirit so intimate with another spirit that the life of this spirit becomes the life of this spirit. And the miracle of being a Christian is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christianity is not simply a bunch of beliefs. It's not simply a bunch of doctrines and God just wants you to think right. Christianity is an extraordinary opportunity to enter into the intimacy that God experiences within in himself, that the spirit of Jesus would join with your human spirit and that Christ in you is the absolute guarantee that your life is going to be fruitful forever because you have an intimate relationship with God. You are invited into that intimacy that he has shared from all creation. Now, let's get down to some of the fascinating insights that we see about the nature of God and the nature of our, of our destiny that, dem that flows to us from understanding a little more of our sexuality. The Bible says that God created man in his own image and God's first creative act is to create masculinity. Masculinity has both the X chromosome and the Y chromosome and that human being called a male has uh, a kind of a very fairly broad job description. Um, the Bible says God created the masculine version of humanity and said to that masculine version of humanity, I put you in my garden both to work and to guard it. Your God basic uh, job is to guard and protect. Um, and in other places, God kind of divide, des describes us as a four-faced being, an ox, a lion, an eagle, and a man. So meet man the ox. Uh, I'm an ox. My wife owns an ox. 
The Bible says oxes are, oxen are very messy, messy creatures. The Bible says where there is no ox, the crib is clean. In other words, there's no droppings and there's no manure in, in a stall where no ox lives. Now, sometimes my wife says, come pick up your clothes. Your clothes are all over the floor, and I believe that God intended me to leave them on the floor <laughs> because the Bible says where there is no ox, the crib is clean. So, if I, sweetheart, if I leave, there'll be no clothes on the floor. She says, well, I'm thinking about it. I'll give that. Let, let me have that, a little bit of a thought. But in creating this being, God added a bit of biochemistry to assist in the process so that my calling as an ox is not simply defined by words, it is defined in part by biochemistry. And as a consequence, my primary hormonal engine is that of testosterone. Now, we know that testosterone has a number of impacts in a male's life. Firstly, it's responsible for the development of musculature. I can carry my wife. She can't carry me. And that's not just because I had too many pies. It's that I'm stronger than she is. <laughs> Why am I stronger than her? Because in the X and Y chromosomes, the mix of those two things together, I have a musculature that she doesn't have. And even when a woman wants to be a, a bodybuilder and she takes testosterone uh, in order to bulk up, she'll never become like Arnold Schwarzenegger because the female version of humanity was never intended to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger and aren't you glad about, about that? Um, I, however, was designed to be an ox. And as a result, God has given me as my primary hormonal engine, testosterone. It means I am stronger than her, but it also means that I am a creature that needs discipleship because testosterone is also the hormone of risk, daring, and aggression. And if I'm not careful, I can quickly run to anger, and because I'm bigger and stronger, I can be more dangerous. I need discipleship to manage my oxiness, my lioniness, better so that nobody around me is damaged or hurt. The reality is that most of the problems of family violence are created by men who have needed to learn how to manage the strength that they have to be a blessing and not a curse. And so I am wired up by God to guard and correct, uh, to guard and protect. Also, testosterone is the hormone of libido. It is the hormone which produces sexual desire in both men and in women. The problem, of course, is that my levels of testosterone are 20 times higher than the woman that I am married to, and there again, I require discipleship because men have a tendency to experience their sexuality with an urgency and a pressure that most women just don't normally have to live with. It means that men need discipleship. It's why I created the Valiant Man course. Every young man, I mean every young man in this nation, deserves an experience of discipleship to learn how to manage his testosterone fog so that women and children live in a safe place. Yeah. And where, people, where men are discipled, they can be magnificent creatures. Yeah. They can be an ox. The Bible says where there is no ox, the crib is clean. But the Bible says there is great profit from owning an ox. I remind my wife of that every now and then. There's great, the Bible says, there is great profit in owning an ox, sweetheart. 
when I stood alongside you and said, forsaking all others and clinging only unto you, on that day you purchased an ox. Now I know that you also purchased a whole group of irresolvable problems that come along with owning an ox, but at least every now and then there's a little bit of profit that uh, comes from owning an ox. And God has called men to understand that the four faces of manhood, they are called to lay down their lives in sacrifice and service. Well, does that mean women? No, women have, a, have a, the same calling, but it begins with you, sir. It begins with you. The Bible calls a man to learn how to give leadership in the areas of sacrifice and service, using your strength and your capacities to be a blessing and never a curse. And it begins with me. I had to learn how to be a lion, how to guard without being damaging to those around me. I had to learn how to be an eagle, how to be a man of faith and prayer and worship, not waiting for my wife to lead me in that. And I had to learn how to be a good man, how to manage my own sex drive in a way in which the woman I am married to never feels that in some way her life is lesser or more difficult because of my presence in her life. Now, that introduction, that's just a little brief introduction to God's extraordinary um, grand design in the creation of a male. Of course, with a male, we recognize that um, the way God has designed him with his X and his Y chromosomes is that um, he has a higher level of testosterone and therefore his tendency to experience sexual arousal is, is a lot more immediate than it is for a woman. And in the creation of, a, of the masculine view or experience of humanity, there is a connection between the eyeball, the optic nerve, and the chemistry set in the brain responsible for sexual arousal that has an immediacy of connection in a male that, thank God, is not present in, in quite the same dimension in a female. So all a woman has to do in order to create sexual arousal is to walk into the visual orbit of a man. And of course, if a woman comes naked into the presence of a man, instantaneous sexual arousal. If a man comes naked into the presence of a woman, she just bursts out laughing, which is a totally different response. Although I would quickly add, this has never happened to me personally. I, I, uh, I just read about it in a book, and so I thought I would pass that on to you as useful information. Now, here's the question. If in the grand design of sex, God is creating a grand design, how on earth, if we're going to create a, a, a female version of humanity, how are we going to do that? Well, God said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll extract the Y chromosome. The one difference genetically between male and female is the absence of the Y chromosome. The male has the X and the Y. A woman has nothing but X chromosomes. We'll extract the X chromosome. The Bible says in, in an extraordinary picture, he puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib from his side. He, she extracts, God extracts femininity out of masculinity by leaving the Y chromosome where, where it is and will create a being that has no Y chromosome and enter the beautiful, magnificent creature known as woman. How will we ever get this princess to love an ox? That's going to be a major challenge. God, how on earth are you going to get a woman, this beautiful creature, to love an ox? Well, he says, I'll do a little biochemistry. Enter oxytocin, known as the bonding hormone, and God has given us an opportunity to still win the heart 
of this extraordinary little princess called woman by virtue of a little magic in the biochemistry which every man needs to know about. It's very important. You see, um, thank God God never created a woman primarily to be sexually aroused by what she sees. Um, if a woman was primarily sexually aroused by what she sees, the average man would never get lucky in his entire lifetime. <laughs> I have never heard a man say, sweetheart, I can't make love tonight, I feel too fat. I have never heard a man say that in his life. And yet, for some reason, a, a woman can not only respond to and deeply love a quite unattractive ox, um, he's done it, it'll happen because of God's capacity to create in her a different response mechanism. Part of it goes to the issue of this, issue, this little thing called oxytocin. Now, oxytocin is manufactured in the soma cells of the hypothalamus in the brain and it's stored in the pituitary gland uh, testosterone is the passion hormone and males live with a level of testosterone 20 times higher than the woman he is married to and as a result males have a tendency, it is not exclusive, but they have a tendency to be the initiators or the pursuers when it comes to sexual intimacy. Um, woman doesn't live with that same level of testosterone, how on earth are we ever going to get her to respond to this uh, ox of a creature who seems to find her so attractive. And part of the answer is in oxytocin. A woman is not only bonded by biochemistry, she's touched deeply by words, by kindness, by character, by service. Oh, if only I'd known that earlier in my married life. Because we, Helen and I married very young. We met each other in high school. I was only 20, she was only 19. I'm full of hormones. I had no idea how attractive service could be to a woman. She would come in, I'd be watching television, she'd say, will you take the bins out? And I'd say, oh, I'll take them out at the next, next advertisement. Just hang on, I'll get them out the next advertisement. She'd come back an hour later, have you taken out the bins yet? No, nah, hang on, woman, uh, Hawthorne, it's where, we're in, we've got a chance here, I'll take it out at the next advertisement. She comes in an hour and a half, you're not taking out the bins yet. What's wrong with you, woman? The truck doesn't come till tomorrow, I'll get the thing out there sometime. Now I've hurt her feelings. I come to bed nine o'clock at night trying to be Romeo, come near me, I'll slap your face right off. <laughs> Are those bins out there yet? What's wrong with you, woman? The bins aren't that important, that's what you think. Those bins aren't empty tomorrow morning, I'll be stacking rubbish and now we've got a marital crisis. If only I had realised that the, that the greatest aphrodisiac for this woman is hearing the sounds of the wheelie bin wheels. <laughs> rumbling up the driveway, <laughs> jumping around in your BVDs and sticking on your, 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 your aftershave is a lot less attractive than hearing the sounds of the wheelie bins going up the driveway. <laughs> if only I could have known that earlier in marriage, I would have been running that bin up and down that driveway. <laughs> I tell you, I would have worn them wheels out, man. <laughs> But part of the miracle of God's desire for marriage not to be an endurance contest, and by the way, Helen and I next year celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. I grew up in a home where my father loved my mother and my mother loved my father in return. 
I grew up in a home where I never saw an argument between my father and my mother all the days of my life. I never heard my father say a cross word to my mother. He treated her like she was the queen. He loved her uh, profoundly and it marked my heart. And by the grace of God, I've seen that a man can not only love his wife, but she can love him in return all the days of their life. The average Australian wonders if that's even possible any longer. One of the things I love to say to people, we're married for 50 years, my wife thinks I'm a hero. I think she's the most amazing creature. Why? Because we've chosen it. We've chosen to love each other. Now, God's biochemistry doesn't create it, but it backs it up. There's a miracle here. There's a divine miracle at work in intimate relationships. Now, oxytocin is the bonding hormone. Oxytocin makes you feel good about the person who is causing the oxytocin to be released. And while oxytocin can be released just by thinking about a loved one, if you have a photograph on your desk at work and you just look at your, that photograph and appreciate the, the life... and the, I have a little picture of my wife above the, the desk where I work. She, it's, it's her as a two-year-old child sitting on a little rocking horse and every time I look at that photo, I'm reminded of the, of the fragile nature, uh, of the precious nature of what God put in my hand and one day he's going to want to talk to me about how I handled that responsibility. I do not want that woman walking up to Jesus at the end of all time saying, what did you give me this buffet for? What an ox, what a pain in the neck. <laughs> I want that girl walking up to Jesus saying, he was a great man, he was my ox, he was my lion. He was my eagle and he was a decent man. He wasn't perfect, Lord, but I knocked him into shape. <laughs> to help us along the way, God has put oxytocin in the, in the uh, physiology of both a male and a female, but in, in women it works better. And see, mums and dads need to know this. They need to know a little bit about this biochemistry because it can work for you and it can work against you. You see, it's designed to be released by affectionate touch. In part of the grand design, God has designed relationships to work best around tender, gentle, kind touch. Touch that releases a sense of safety. Touch that releases a sense of benignness and kindness that is ministered through touch but has a biochemical consequence. You see, women have 10 times the number of touch receptors in their skin compared to, man, to, to, compared to the male. So that every single woman on the planet is more sensitive to touch than every single male on the planet by virtue of the way God has put us all together. Girls are designed to be impacted by touch. Men are impacted more by sight and by smell. But a girl who is loved appropriately by her father a girl who feels the warmth of her father's arms around her in that hugging encounter with her own dad has an encounter of bonding to her own family. She doesn't feel like an orphan. She doesn't feel stranded or alone or lost. And one of the key roles that fathers can play in the life of their daughters is to minister to them a sense of deep security about the appropriate relationship that they have. Now, touch in general is just so important to human beings and most of us don't get nearly enough of it. Babies that are deprived of touch don't develop normally because certain connections in the brain, if they don't happen early on in life, actually dissolve and disappear and cannot be connected later in life. Babies de deprived of touch are in a serious position. Orphans who receive very, very little touch often die as a result, simply of not being touched 
And those who do survive can experience permanent physical and mental retardation because touch in God's economy is so vital to healthy human relationship. Kids who don't get enough touch grow up to become aggressive and antisocial adults. Older adults who don't get enough touch also suffer becoming senile sooner and dying earlier. Uh, one of the things I shared yesterday with the, with the, with the men, uh, the statistics on this are really quite extraordinary. When it comes to touch as far as men are concerned, a happily married man will live nine years longer than his single counterpart. Nine years longer. As I said yesterday, I said that at a wedding one time, a guy yelled out from the back of the room, no pastor, he said, uh, it's not actually nine years longer, it just feels longer. <laughs> Put that man out of the room, please. Uh, no, none of that around here. We're all affected by touch, and it's not just in the mind, you know. It's not just, oh, it's, you know, psychosomatic. No, no, it's the result of complex hormonal responses which actually change the way your bodies work and they change the way your brains work. It's not just mind over matter, it's a biochemical reality that is part of God's grand design. Men have a greater level of testosterone, women have a greater level of oxytocin, and there are key moments in which oxytocin is released and makes the world of difference in how a woman feels. For example, oxytocin is released at childbirth. It is one of the, uh, God's intentions for the bonding process, and it absolutely depends on it. A woman who does not have an oxytocin release will become quite dangerous to that child because she lacks the maternal bonding and uh, there, there are those moments where the biochemistry in a broken world just doesn't work and as a result the woman can be quite hostile to a child. It's rare but th that will make her a, quite a dangerous person in the child's life because the bonding process didn't take place. God added to that through breastfeeding. See, uh, breastfeeding nurtures the bond between a mother and a child by a huge release of oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone, and oxytocin is released in, in its greatest quantities during sexual intercourse and in orgasm. It has a greater effect on a woman than it does uh, on a man, and it results in that deep desire to be held and to be cuddled and to be treated uh, with kindness after sexual intimacy. Orgasm causes levels to spike uh, even higher, three to five times higher than normal, and it creates that afterglow that uh, is often part of a woman's experience of lovemaking. And uh, any husband who knows that needs to minister that kind of affection that uh, God has created as a desire for in her. Women experience highs and lows. This is a very important thing for men to, uh, to fully appreciate especially married men, um, women experience highs and lows of oxytocin during their menstrual cycle and that results in their desire for more touch or less touch. Oxytocin works in harness with oestrogen and the higher the level of oestrogen, the more oxytocin affects the emotions through touch and as a result, as the, uh, as the cycle and the monthly cycle rises and falls for women, so the desire for touch changes. It calls that, uh, it results in that syndrome that every married man has probably encountered called uh, PMS, which you may not know, stands for punish my spouse. And um, <clears throat> the longer you go without that touch, the weaker it becomes and eventually it can produce quite a violent reaction to being touched. When there is no touch and it's not nurtured over time, there can come a violent dislike of touch 
and quite a disruptive reaction. Oxytocin is produced in both men and women. In men, it boosts testosterone production, so when a woman touches her man, holds his hand, puts her arm around him, it boosts testosterone, meaning that touch for a man makes him more manny, makes him more masculine over time. It's part of God's process in encouraging him as a lion and an ox uh, in his ministry. When it comes uh, to women, the danger, and every parent needs to understand this, one of the things parents need to do is watch who's trying to hold your daughter's hand. Watch who's trying to put their arm around your daughter's shoulder. And one of the dangers we have is that as our society progresses, we think we're smarter than we actually are. We think we've become more understanding and back in those prudish old days, dad would say, take your hands off my daughter. Well, we would never do a thing like that. Well, you should. You should if you're a caring parent because you need to be aware of the biochemical response. When a boy holds a girl by the hand, when he rubs his arm up and down her arm, when he puts his arm around her, he is releasing in her uh, an oxytocin experience which begins to bond her to him. Here's the question. Do you want your daughter bonded to this useless lump of humanity? <laughs> is this an appropriate man for this girl to be bonded to? And I, I, I do not want to be... Um, disrespectful in any way, but we need to realize that there are times when you say, how on earth did that woman end up married to that man? How on earth did that happen? i got to say it happened to both of my sisters because my mum and dad didn't understand any of this stuff. And as a result, my sister ended up marrying a man she didn't even want to marry because in that courtship um, sexualization process of grooming, uh, her th over the years of holding her hand, rubbing her shoulder and eventually taking more and more sexual advantage of that opportunity, she bonded to him in a way that didn't make any sense to her or anybody else and ended up in a very sad and dangerous divorce and many, many lonely years as a single parent. All of that could have been, uh, could have been uh, helped to be arrested simply by understanding that when a girl is touched by a boy, a bonding process is beginning to take place. It produces things like limerence, the feeling like you are in love. It may not be love, it may just be chemistry. People get very excited by smoking margarine. That's not love either, that's just chemistry. They get very excited by smoking crack or taking heroin. That's not love, it's just chemistry. And one of the reasons why we think addictions may be so difficult to break is that it actually hijacks God's plan for the love cycle, for the biochemistry of love, which bonds one person to another for life, that that's what drugs do. They hijack that entire pleasure cycle, the bonding process, and bonds you to something you don't want to be bound to for the rest of your life. Now let's move to the end of this because we're going to come to communion. We've got to understand as men that pornography hijacks exactly the same system in a man's brain. It's why pornography is so dangerous and so destructive. And when it comes down to the issue of uh, marriage relationships that God wants to last for a lifetime, I know they don't always manage it. I know that not the behavior doesn't always permit that to happen. But God's plan was that a man would be honorable and loving to a woman all the days of his life 
and he has created a bond, a binding, a biochemical bond, which was intended to produce that in a husband and in a wife. I could add some extra stuff, but we, for time's sake, um, I might just add this, because it really is important. This biochemistry, especially during teenage years, can produce some very unwanted results. Because, for example, when boys begin to become sexually active in their teenage years, they stimulate such high levels of biochemistry. When a sexual relationship ends for a teenage boy, he plummets. It's like going into withdrawal. He plummets into depression. Young teenage boys involved in sexual relationships are seven times more likely to be suicidal than a virginal teenage boy of the same age. It, the biochemistry has huge consequences, and often young males are committing suicide, 17, 18, 19, 20, and the world is puzzled and say, well, we don't understand that. Well, you should understand it, because the biochemistry involved in sexual intimacy is so powerful when, uh, when we experiment with that stuff and then break off a relationship, boys plummet to suicidal levels, but our society has never yet joined those dots together. Thanks, Al, that was brilliant. Let me just tell you one final thing. The importance of a double bed, or a king-size bed in my case. One of the effects of oxytocin is that it decreases mental processes and impairs your memory. Um, and this is why hugging and why touching can help us recover from an argument. Sometimes marriage produces conflict. And one of the dangers of conflict is that we go our separate ways and then the hurt remains and we never resolve it. One of the loveliest things about owning a large bed is that in the middle of the night, one hand can reach out and touch another and in that touch communicate, I know I'm an ox and I'm sorry. And that little hand can, can be squeezed in return and that little squeeze says, I know you're an ox, but I do forgive you even though you're a mess. Those, that, that little moment, that little touch in the middle of the night, which can so help a couple that have just had an argument to begin the process of reconciliation. Oxytocin helps us to forget, uh, to stop thinking about it, and it can even f help us to forget some of the pain we felt when we were having that argument. And while hugging may not be a natural response during conflict, it can be so helpful in beginning to cool things off. Going to give you one example and then we're going to go to communion and if the communion people can get ready to pass it out, that would be great. I came home one time from being out and I was not, I was late. I'd, I was home hours later than I should have been. And when I got home, Helen was both angry and worried. She was at the stove and she was cooking. And when I walked in the door, she turned around and she gave me a serve. Well, I am a man. I'm responsible for the entire universe. And I'm always doing important things, and women should understand that. And as a result, I felt offended at her being offended, and so I gave her a serve in return. Being a woman, she did not appreciate the, the insight that I had just delivered to her uh, through my response, and so I watched her face go red, and I watched the veins begin to pop out on her neck. This was, Vesuvius was about to erupt. She ripped into me, and while... She was ticking me off and my anger was boiling on the inside. I was planning a brilliant response. You can begin to pass that out if you would. Take the bread and hold it. Take the communion cup and hold it in your hand. 
right in the middle of that moment when I was about to give her more of my brilliant insights on life, God spoke to my heart and he said to me, how long are you going to keep this up? And I instantly realised I had a choice. I didn't have to perpetuate this ugly moment. I could help to bring it to an end. And so I simply said to her quietly, I'm sorry. Let's pray. I moved over closer to her, which was not a safe thing to do at that moment. Because <laughs> she was really hurt and angry. I said, let's pray. Now I watched her wrestle with her emotions. Because both of us are followers of Jesus. We always have a choice. Now everyone has a choice, but followers of Jesus, how much more? Because Christ in me does not want this wounding moment to go on one moment longer. And now I watched her struggle with her emotions. She bowed her head and I put my arms around her and as I began to pray, some demonic assault on our life broke instantaneously. And both of us felt it. We were aware that what just took place to us was an attempt to destroy something that's supposed to last for the rest of our lives. And then as we held each other in the kitchen, we prayed. And in that moment of kindness and understanding and forgiveness, we just simply restored the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that only Jesus can give. It's an amazing thing what touch can do. And this morning as we come around the communion table, I want to add one thought. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians. Oh, and by the way, all I've done is touch on a few, a few issues in this extraordinary miracle of our sexuality and God's plan for intimacy in a marriage relationship. Listen to what the Bible says. After all, Paul says, no one has ever hated their own body. Well, that's not Paul. You should see how we feel some days. Um, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church for we are members of his body. Jesus doesn't hate you. Jesus loves you. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But this is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. Sexual intimacy and its appropriate expression in marriage is a parable. It is a parable of God's romantic hope for the future. A body of people who will so love Jesus and so walk intimately with him that out of that intimacy will come every good eternal thing. And the beautiful thing is as we come to communion, and by the way, I, I need a cup and I need some bread. Can someone, can someone give me a cup and some bread? Because, no, oh, well, you better go get some yourself. Thank you, I've got yours. The Bible says sexual intimacy came from the heart of God as a dream. Every, married, every marriage in this building today is a parable. It may not be showing yet all of the graces and love that God had in his heart for it, but it is a parable. And the ultimate parable or picture is of Christ and his church together conquering eternity in a fruitful and productive and gracious 
environment. Jesus said to his disciples, the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. This do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And as you eat it, that will become, that will that'll go in you. Christ in you. Every time you eat the bread, Jesus is saying to you, I'll tell you how close I am to you. I'm as close to you as this piece of bread. I am in you. And it's the greatest hope of your glory. Your performance, your Bible study, your trying really hard, that is not a place for confidence. But Jesus in you is a place of profound confidence. And then after that, he took the cup when he'd supped. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Drink ye all of it, for this cup is the New Testament in my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus thinks the only appropriate way that intimacy can ever go on into the, into the future is in an atmosphere of total forgiveness. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I'm not walking in you to beat you up, to constantly remind you of your failures. I am walking in you in an atmosphere of total and absolute forgiveness. It is one of the greatest healing treasures that we can bring to each other in our marriage. Just confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together in Jesus' name. And after the same manner, he also took the cup when he had supped. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Today, you are doing intimacy with Jesus. Your walk into the future is in an atmosphere of total forgiveness. Today, in the intimacy of whatever relationships or friendships you have, bathe them in total forgiveness and the grace of God will guard your heart. Take and drink in Jesus' name. Father, today I pray for these dear people. I pray for those who are not married. Those who are sitting here today saying, Lord, what about me? I pray for each of them that your presence in them will be to them like the presence of a lover. I pray for them that you would give them faith to believe that not only are there better things yet to come, but you are present here and now. I pray for those who are single, who are not yet married, but have a deep desire to be so and they're preparing themselves for it. Oh God, I pray, guard their, their hearts from inappropriate bonding and keep them for the one in which their lives will be most fully made whole and productive. And Lord, I pray for us as a people that your church would learn to live with you with an intimacy and a kindness and an absolute security, bathed in the touch of prayer, the touch of worship, the touch of deep, quiet communion, and encompassed with absolute forgiveness. And in that place, guard our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen.
May God bless you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. Have a wonderful life.